Hello, everybody. This is Bill Knauer, and you're listening to Author to Author, where we talk about writing and life. Life, people, because what it takes to write the book you want to write is also what it takes to lead the life you want to lead. It's true. I wouldn't say it if it wasn't. Author to Author is brought to you by Author Magazine, the premier free writing magazine on the Internet, featuring articles on writing, writing life, as well as some video interviews with best-selling award-winning authors across the genres, my conversation with award-winning, best-selling British novelist John Lanchester's up there. Fascinating guy, had a lot of really cool things to say about fiction, about his first novel. Check it out. It's up there now. Uh, also, you know, I write a little column three times a week there about writing and just what it is to be a creative person and look at a blank page every day and say, what do I want to see on that? Well, I do that every day. You can go check it all. It's free. It's all there at authormagazine.org. And uh, we are funded by the fabulous Pacific Northwest Writers Association. These people have been supporting writers from pen to publication since 1955. Yes, they have. And, uh, well, you know, if you're a member of the PNWA, you could, uh, well, a bunch of things you could do. For instance, if you, uh, I will be teaching a class. Uh, free uh, in the next two months on the personal essay at the monthly meetings of the Pacific Northwest Writers Association. And if you can make it there, great. But if you can't, that's okay, too. You can listen in virtually on the Internet if you're a member of the PNWA. You see how it works? Isn't that great? If you're ever interested in learning about the personal essay, my personal, my forte, I guess you'd say, then you'll get to learn. But I'd love to have you involved. Also, PNWA funds the Great Pacific Northwest Writers Conference every September now. And uh, people are signing up for it. I just got done judging the contest that we give out awards for at that. A lot of good stuff happening at the PNWA. Hope you join up. Learn about it at pnwa.org. Well, people, you tuned in for a good one. Yes, you did. I'm lucky to have her. Tembi Locke, author, actress, activist, just all-around awesome person. Tembi uh, is passionate about two things. Actually, I'll bet you more than that. But two main things, the power of storytelling as a tool to inspire meaningful connection and savoring the flavors, food, and kitchen wisdom from her favorite place in the world, Sicily, Italia. An accomplished actor with over 60 television and film performances to her credit, including The Magicians, NCIS Los Angeles, Bones, Eureka, Dumb and Dumber 2, Friends, and Proven Innocent. She's also the author, and this is why she's here, of the new memoir, From Scrat a Scratch, a memoir of love, Sicily, and finding home. Uh, the reviewers have been raving about it, calling it lyrical, utterly incandescent, and shimmering with hope and inspiration. And New York Times bestselling author Claire Bidwell-Smith says you will be forever changed for having turned these pages. We've got her on the show with us, Tembi. How are you doing? Hello. I am so happy to be here with you. Thank you. And what an incredible introduction. <laughs> well, I, I, just had, I just I just, that was read a life what's review. there in front of me. You just inspired it. <laughs> done so many cool things. Oh. Uh, Tembi, so you've written a book. You wrote a book. Yeah. And I... Let, let's actually, let's start because uh, it's a memoir. I like to, whenever I interview my authors, I like to talk about them, but you've written about you. So let's tell the <laughs> listeners just a little bit about that book. What's, 
what story it focuses on. You can do a better job than I yeah. can. Well, I, you know, it, I, I, will, I will try to be as succinct as possible because it's, it's sort luck. of encompasses a, a lot. I know. Good luck. Yeah. I've, I've been trying to do this since I wrote the proposal for this I'll book. Bet. But anyway, yeah. um, it is at its core a love story. It's, it begins as an, you know, an inter, tri, a intercultural love story set in Italy. And um, it looks at um, love and loss. Um, I meet an Italian chef on the street that sort of begins the book and this journey that is my life. Um, and the book becomes a kind of love letter to him and to Italy and to our life together because over the course of our time together, he passed away. He was diagnosed and then he passed away. And the book really follows the first three summers that my daughter and I spent on the island of Sicily, newly grieving as we try to reimagine our lives. And we do that with my mother-in-law and we go on a journey with her as we try to all reimagine our relationships and our lives after a significant loss. So it, it is a love story that is a, both a sort of, um, you know, a travel memoir, a food memoir, but it really has these interlacing themes of family and grief and love and forgiveness, yeah. identity. Um, yeah. And it's a book about transgenerational healing to a degree. Right. And you're because you and the mother-in-law didn't get along so great at first. At first, the beginning of our relationship had fracture in it. Yes, <laughs> that's the way I say it. <laughs> and 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 not and and again without giving you know much away for people right. who have yet to come to the book or who may read it down the line, is you know um, I will say that you know my 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 late husband Sado and his family he was also sort of had a kind of a distance and an estrangement there. So that by the right. time I came onto the picture with all of my differences it just yeah. exacerbated an already complex situation so yeah there, it was not a right. warm and fuzzy hey let's jo- you know let's let's all be family yeah. it wasn't that at the beginning right um, right but you were bound together yeah. by love by love of a person absolutely. yeah yeah absolutely 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 what i found interesting and, too uh, what, okay no go ahead go ahead no, no, no. I was just going to say in terms of the book and, you know, sort of the, the, the sort of scope of the book, it, you know, it, it really looks at, I, I, I can see now that it really looks at sort of all the, the paradigms of love, beginning with romantic yeah. love. And by the end of the book, it's something much bigger. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because you kind of, be, one of the things you reflect on early on is your concept of romantic love uh, being something maybe not that is sort of uh, not impermanent at best, right? That because your family, there was a lot of divorce and you were kind of bouncing. Well, as a lot of young people do, but you were bopping around the way certainly mm-hmm. most people do. And you weren't, you weren't, it, it, the way you describe yourself is you weren't the kind of young woman who's like, marriage is the be all and end all for me. All my sights are sent on that. You were ambitious. You were career oriented. And so this idea of, of, of a romantic relationship really wasn't, I got the feeling wasn't the way you defined yourself. Cause I've known women who that more so was the case, especially when they're younger. Yeah. Yeah. Not me. <laughs> not yeah. At that point. Yeah. You know, um, no, I, I really, you know, I mean, I think a part of, and I think many children of divorce can sometimes sort of, you know, uh, I think it's the common feeling among children of divorce is that sense of, well, 
okay, people do come together, but they also fall apart. And is that, is the, the can love have staying power? And yeah. so I felt like the things that I could have, you know, sort of agency over was not the area of love, but maybe more perhaps, you know, how great of a student I was, which we meet me as a co-ed in the first, you know, chapter of the book or, yeah. you know, what I wanted right. to do with my life. That felt something that I could have more of a sphere of influence over, you know, yeah. um, and, but, you know, life had other plans for me. <laughs> yeah. The one thing we, we do not have control over other people, do we? None whatsoever. No, we don't. <laughs> not we, even no, our children. We don't. God oh, gosh, it. no. <laughs> Especially them, maybe. <laughs> Little rascals. Yeah. Well, okay. But speaking of children, you, you, so you're an actress. I mean, your profession, your primary profession before writing this book was you're, mm-hmm. you're an actress, actor, actress. Yeah. Um, but I understand your relationship to writing kind of goes back further than the start of this memoir. That As a young person, you were interested in writing also, yeah? Yeah, I mean, I wrote stories as a kid, you know, in school, and I always loved when we, you know, I, I wasn't so great with, you know, sort of the, you know, citated research sort of paper type writing yeah, that, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. bored me to tears. I was like, oh, okay, all right. You right. know, um, however, you know, when I was given sort of the, ch- I went to a big public school in, in Houston, Texas, and I don't think we did lots of creative writing by back then, but when yeah. I was thrown an assignment that even, you know, hinted at something creative could be thrown in, I just ran with it. I loved it. Right. Um, but I did not see it as, I, I didn't see it as a part of my identity, or I didn't see, even see it as right. like a desire to do professionally when I grew up. Um, right. And you know, um, some some of your listeners may know my I, I I have a writer in my family, and it's my sister. Um, oh, and she's a very no. accomplished writer. Wait, wait, yeah, wait. Who? Who? Attica Law. Attica. Attica Law. Oh God, dang it! That's right. I, I was trying to put this together. Yeah. And I couldn't, yeah. That's right. Attica Law. Yeah. Okay. So she writes oh. thrillers and, and, yes. and sort of, you know, really, you know, literary thrillers and mysteries. And she is, you know, she has her fifth book that's coming out. So I have always thought she was the writer. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, and, and then I, you know, um, and in our family, and not that we were a family where people have to have, you know, an identity and they can't move out of their right. lane. No, that's no, not this our is people. real. No, no, this yeah, is a thing in but, families. Like, who? I'm the writer in the family, supposedly. My brother wanted to write and he had to get over the fact that his older brother was the writer so he could allow himself to no, do it. I it wasn't it's, easy. I think, yeah, I was the actor. My sister was, you know, the writer effectively. Right. So this idea of, you know, into my forties, you know, um, you know, after my husband passed this idea that I would take the leap and write a book, you know, really, um, you know, I, I, I had to really work myself up. I had to convince myself that I could do it. In fact, she was very instrumental it was oh, very was. wonderful in saying, I think you have a book in you, and I think you need to write this story. And she said that repeatedly over a year. Oh, and wow. And at one point, I actually think she said, if you don't write it, I think I'm not going to speak to you. <laughs> wow. And by the wow. way, we, we are on speaking terms. So oh, she's good. incredibly encouraging, which is a blessing for any new writer to have yeah. anybody say, a sibling or not, you know, if you have the mailman say, hey, you know, I think you should do yeah. this. I mean, you, we need encouragement, Right. So I was very lucky in that sense to have someone with whom, you know, I'm incredibly close saying, I see this in you. I think you can do this. But you were, I mean, the, 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 the subject of grief is a lot of what this book deals with. And it's a complicated subject. Uh, obviously, it's one mm-hmm. that is, has, I mean, it's being dealt with the world over for any number of reasons. You did, did you do some, like, a TED, you did a TED Talk on it, but did that kind of, did your sort of, I guess ad- advocacy is the best word. Begin mm-hmm. before mm-hmm. the book. Were you sort of going around and doing yeah, some talks did. about it, it? Yes, it did. And 
Yes, it sure did. Um, yeah. I'm sorry if you're hearing life is happening behind us in the form of That's a okay. lawnmower. <laughs> That's, I, no, I can't hear it. You're good. Okay, perfect. Um, yeah, no, I, you know, what, so here's the thing. I feel like in my family and in my life, can you hear me now? Yeah, yeah, fine. Okay, perfect. Um, you know, we, I come from a family of people who you have used their voice in the world to sort of advocate right. for change, right? Right. And right. my parents are civil rights activists. My sister does it in her way as a writer. To a degree, even as an actor, we sort of, although, you know, as actors, we don't always get to choose our, the parts we play. I mean, we, right. we do get to sign on to them or not. But largely, we're telling a story about what it means to be human in the world. Right. Effectively. Right. And so for me, um, you know, after Sato, my husband, passed, and I had had 10 years as his, I was his primary caregiver, and I had right. learned a lot over that time. And people kind of knew me in my circles and in, among my friends as someone if, that they could lean to or ask if they had a question about how to help someone else who might have just gotten a diagnosis right. or might, you know, be going. Right. And so I realized I was sitting on a lot of knowledge that I could share. And so I actually... Um, about three years after he passed, felt like I had gotten to a place where I felt ready to share some of that. And I created an online platform called The Kitchen Widow, mm-hmm. which basically I was like, you know, sort of I thought it was going to be a couple of videos and, you know, a splash page with some tips. <laughs> and right, it turned right. into a little bit more than that. It became like, I don't know, I think like five, I think I did five, you know, mini webisodes and, and wow. put a great deal of resources. But basically I used my personal story of being Sato's caregiver and then his widow, and because he was a chef, I decided to use the story and use the prism of food to talk about this larger conversation around caregiving, um, illness, how community comes together to support, and also about grief. And then that kind of opened a door for me where I was, oh, I I think I have more to say about this. I still didn't know yet that I was going to write from scratch, that book. At one mm-hmm. point, I thought I might just maybe write a book about caregiving, but right. over time, um, I did the TED. I did the TED talk, the TEDx talk, and then from there, I really, uh, about five years after his passing, I felt that I was really ready to write a book, and that yeah. brought in really the totality, as much as I could, on the page of my lived experience and what yeah. his love had taught me and what I what my relationship with how my how I had changed over the course of 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 our love and in loss and I wanted to bring that forward yeah yeah and you know it's a funny thing so I write about my own life to the exclusion of all other subjects and that's all I've been writing about for a number of years now (laughs) right yeah yeah I, I and I find it endlessly interesting even though like nothing ever happens to me but that's okay uh well, I mean, nothing, nah, I, I actually, I use it as a great teaching tool because my students sometimes mm-hmm. worry their lives aren't interesting enough. And I assure them that it couldn't mm-hmm. be less sort of interesting than mine. But, but, um, you know, one thing I've discovered in writing about things that happened to me is I have to go in to discover, like, I think I know what happened. And often I do know what physically happened, but I want to discover, I want to discover, I want to discover. And yeah. I am sure that in writing this, even though you've talked about it and helped people and coach people, and perhaps told the story in a shorter version, you must have learned something in telling the story in this format that you didn't understand until you clarified it for yourself. Because that seems to be the case for every memoir ever written. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Absolutely. It, 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 there's a part, you know, I think first we have to, 
you know, certainly after loss, but I think in life in general, I mean, I think as a memoirist, our job is one is to sort of retrace and make make lives of the of our experience, right? And then be able right. to share it. We have to we have to make sense of it before we can share it. And right. I think in writing, it's in the process of attempting to share it and attempting to, and constantly asking your questions of yourself on the page, right? Why did right. I do that? Why what, yes. how, what can, how does that connect to this? Right. That we begin yeah, yeah. to sort of see this all of these, you know, things that made at first seem, you know, very um unconnected or disparate pieces of our lives come together together in this beautiful, you know, mosaic, right. which is one of the reasons why the book has a very mosaic um, structure to it. Also, I didn't want to really sort of tell this linear, I mean, one version of the book, I guess, is to tell it very linearly, but it didn't feel authentic to both, you know, sort of how I feel about life and what grief feels like. Grief doesn't feel linear in any way. And so right. um, in going in and trying to make sense of, you know, um, different experiences in my life, I came to see this larger, beautiful tapestry that I kind of glimpsed at first, yeah. you know, no. but I didn't really see it until it was, in fact, really, I didn't totally see it until I actually reread the book for my audiobook. <laughs> wow. <laughs> because... You know, in a certain sense, you're writing, and you know, I mean, you're writing, yeah. I'm writing chapters, I'm seeing how they go together, I'm playing with the structure, but I hadn't sat down, even in copy edits, when you sit down and read your book again, yeah, yeah. three times, yeah. cover to cover, <laughs> you know, yeah. you're really looking at it, not as a reader, you're looking at it for the typo. Yeah, it's state, totally different. Like that. Yeah. So it's yeah. totally different. So then to step away from it and then come back to it and really re reread something that you wrote <laughs> and it, it, it really then I could see the, the depth and breadth of the whole experience of, yeah. of, of, of what the story I was trying to tell. I love what you said. And this is something I teach. I, so I teach a lot of memoir writing and personal essay writing. And the, the question, the memoirist, right, this is what I find myself asking of myself. Whenever I sit down to write, most of my time is spent saying, I know what I did. Why did I do it? I know, I know mm -hmm. what I did. I, why did that seem, or I should say, why did that seem like the thing to do at the time? Why did I feel the way I felt? Why did I believe what exactly. I believe? Because you know what and, you and did, you know, I, right? Yeah. Well, it's sort of like in acting. So this is where me as an actor and that sort of inquisitiveness yeah, yeah. of character, like if I, yep. when I'm as an actor and I, you know, I get a role, you know, it's my job. I'm responsible for the conscious and unconscious behavior of every character I play. Right. So I have to know on the script, it says they did this. But then I have to know why they did this. And if, this, if the screenwriter doesn't tell me why they did it, then I need to make up a reason why they did it. But because right, I have right. to bring all of that to bear to, 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 to render you know, a compelling, engaged performance, right? right? And so to some degree, I'm used to looking at human behavior and always asking the why, the why, the why. And so naturally, I think that did help me a lot in writing the book. Of course, now the question I was asking myself was why? Why as my right. twenty-year-old self did I do this? Why, when I was thirty, why did I see things this way? You know, right. and 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 sometimes I didn't like the answer, and sometimes I was okay yeah. with the answer. But I yeah. I knew it was my job to share to share authentically and as honestly and most and vulnerably as possible. You know, my answer to that why. Yeah, you know, I, I always I, I I try to look upon the guy on the page named Bill Canauer as a character. I'm like, I'm me because yes. I'm alive right now. Yes. I'm me. Mm -hmm. and, but he's really mm -hmm. not totally me because I'm me. Mm -hmm. But he's a character <laughs> who did, you know, that I have, because even what I put down the page, and you know this from having written your memoir, you can't put it all in there. You've got to leave a lot of stuff out. No, you out. cannot. 
And to some yep. degree you have to, and sometimes I leave stuff out that I, because I need to keep the drama going. So I'm not going to talk about when I was balanced. I'm just going to focus when I was imbalanced because I need the tension to be built. So you have to leave stuff out and it can feel a little bit like dishonesty, but it's really not because you have, because the story <laughs> is more important than every freaking thing that happened to you. Right. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And, and that's one of the things where, you know, when I was working through my first, well, I, the first draft that I gave to my editor, let's put it that way. Right. <laughs> it wasn't the first yeah. draft. It was probably like nine drafts, you know, yeah, in, yeah, in my, yeah. with my world. But nonetheless, right. um, I wrote a lot of things. There are a lot of things that I that made it into the first draft, which are not in the final book, right? Um, right? Because there were more moments that I was like, oh, I think I need to share this. I think this is somehow relevant. I think, And I, I made a decision in the writing process that I would give too much, and then yeah. we could pull back from there right, because right. I knew that at a certain point I couldn't see any totally clearly what, what might feel very relevant to me might not feel as relevant to the narrative that we are telling here. And so right. it, it, right. it, it, it would get, you know, you know, edited out and I needed another print. That's where, you know, thank God, Christine pride, who I worked with. I love my editor so much oh, um, good, because good. she obviously, she, she took a, yeah, she took a manuscript, you know, and I gave it to her. It was, you know, probably 30,000 words too long and a hundred pages yeah. too long. And yeah. then she said, okay, now let's get to work. Right. So you know, did you sell it on, on a proposal? Did you sell I it did. on a proposal? I did. Yeah, I did. Yeah. I did, well, which true. I say is, you know, um, that was my wish for the book. And then right. the book tells you what it actually is. Right, right. That's, that's right, because you don't know until you're right. They, I'm right I'm, we're pitching a book right now, and I'm like, uh, and my agent's like, well, give me an outline. I'm like, I'll give you an outline. But <laughs> then I'm going to write the thing, yeah. you know, once we sell it. Yeah. We'll see what the thing really is. So, uh, you know, <laughs> exactly. I was thinking about you. I was thinking about, I was pacing around my living room, thinking a little bit about this interview. And I thought about grief, you know, mm. and I thought about the poem. Are you familiar with um, the poem Funeral Blues by Auden? Do you know that poem? No, but I, I will oh, go look it up as we get God. off the line. Oh, okay. Oh, it's. It's the best. But I thought about him because it seems I was thinking about grief and it struck me that. See if this makes sense to you as someone who's counseled a lot of people on this, that the, the thought around grief must be that the light has gone out in the room, kind of that. Mm -hmm. It's not that you've lost just not just the person, but sort of the value of life itself or that mm -hmm. the future has been lost, that happiness is it's more than just the person, isn't it? Isn't it yes. something beyond that to just your whole life yes, that it, you feel has been lost? Yeah, and then it, it feels like the possibility for the life you thought you might have, particularly right. when we're talking about the loss of a spouse in the prime of their life, sure. we're talking sure. about, or if it's the loss of a sibling, if it's the loss of, you know, a child, you all of that possibility is, is, is gone. Right. And right. in my case, having lost a spouse, I also felt for a very long time that I lost half of my memory and half of my better self right, because right. I, we were married for 20 years. So he knew, you know, things that would, you know, we, I would start a sentence, he would finish it kind of thing. Right. Suddenly, right. you know, I'm, you know, not to use too many writing metaphors, but I have to, you know, I'm having to write the sentence, <laughs> you know, I have to fill it in, right. you know, the, his right. part of it. And holding, yeah. holding the, all of our life, you know, in my memory felt too much at a certain point, which is, part of, I think, one of the reasons 
where I was drawn to write the book. But but that sense of all the future, that what we hoped for ourselves. You know, we were, you know, our daughter was seven years old. Um, yeah. So you know, also for her, all the few every birthday, you know, every at Christmas time, you know. Um, you know, she, you know, she's soon going to, you know, leave middle school. That transition from middle, all these big life yeah. markers, yeah. The possi- you know, the ways in which, in a, you know, quote unquote normal life, you know, would play out. Her dad would be at all of those things, right? So she carries yeah. the children off and carry their grief forward in what is missing. Right. And right. Um, so it's 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 so you're missing yes the person, and you're grieving their physical sound touch smell, um, sure. you know, their, their, their laughter, their physicality, but then you're also missing all your, the life that you were building or had sh- or shared together. And sure. so it is, it is quite, quite, quite an intense, um, and, and it is a life altering experience and needs to be handled very gently. You know, I do spend yeah. a lot of time thinking about and, you know, trying to encourage people in whatever way I can to sort of move gently through that space. You know, it's that, you know, it's it's very important. Well, I love what you'd said about that. The book focuses on just love in general. And um, Mm -hmm. I think it does. And I often feel that if you really want to, it's really the subject of most of what I write about in one form or another is unconditional love or unconditional well-being, you could say, in that love really forces you not to place conditions on it, meaning I love you because you're nice to me or I love you because you get good grades or what, or I just love life because everything is set up right. You really have to make it unconditional that love is a thing that can fill any vessel, any life, regardless of who's in it, but it's challenging. I'm not going to pretend it isn't, but that is what I think love seems to ask of me, even though I have my spouse and my children, but I think it still asks Mm -hmm. of me regardless. Yeah. Does that make sense? I would agree. I would agree 100%. And I would, I would sort of add to that or, or riff on that by also saying that it is um, the unconditional piece in, in my experience, you know, that really came to bear was through illness because one would right. say, where is the, how can you love life in the face of that? Right. Right. How can you love life in the face of it? But it's unfair. what I found Right, it's unfair. Um, right, you know. The, and don't, don't get me wrong. I we definitely had many. <laughs> this is unfair moments, right? Sure. <laughs> that sure. that's with, that goes with the territory. We are very much human. I am not Pollyanna right. by any stretch of the imagination. Right. However, um, the way in which I was asked to reach harder for life and reach deeper for what yeah. mattered expanded my love. Yeah. My love for both my partner my love for the vulnerable parts of me that were struggling. I had to learn to love myself a lot as a caregiver because I was doing yeah. something wholly new and unprecedented and without, I did had no template for in my life. And right. so um, to do that over 10 years through many ups and downs, times when I felt I was, you know, maybe not the greatest caregiver or I got something wrong or maybe I wasn't being the most supportive to the, t- you know, I had to love myself through all of it. And right. and he had to we had to love each other through all of it. And so one of yeah. the things that I learned about love, my love for life in all of its forms, in all the ways it's happening around us, you know, um, yeah. it grew, it grew. Yeah, 
Yeah. It, it, it just grew. It grew exponentially. And for me, that was that has been my life's path. That you know, it was through these experiences and this set of circumstances, which you know, the inciting incident, the biggest inciting incident of which was the diagnosis, right. sort of cracked open something that I could choose to walk through it in an open-hearted way, or I could have shut down. Yeah. Well, because don't we make up a story? I think all of us to some degree make up a story, which is I could be, I'm going to be, I'm fine. But then you quietly think as long as I have X, Y, and Z. Oh, sure. Right? <laughs> right. And, and, oh, my God. We love and the baseline condition. with that is your husband. And so you had to learn, you couldn't live with that story. And so you had to give up no, that idea. Oh, yeah. Our story right? totally changed. Everything about it. I mean, you know, everything about it changed in illness and then changed again when he when he when he passed. Um yeah. and you know, our our the kind of even just partners we were in our in our marriage, right. you know. I mean the right. I mean ta- it was a lot of it is the role that people talk about with caregiving, the role reversal. You know, he stopped yep. working, he was a chef and because he had yep. You know, one of the, the, the his cancer um, metastasized to his bones, and it affected his ability to stand for periods of time. So there was no way he was ever going to be a professional chef again. So right. I became the sole breadwinner, yep. and you know, his caregiver. And that was never his vision for our marriage by any of stretch of the imagination. Sure. And yet he had to allow me to care for him. Yeah. And in allowing that something in him got bigger because he yeah. had to see himself more than just as, you know, you know, within the context or, you know, the paradigm of what, you know, masculinity is supposed to look like right. or, you know, um, you know, his role, his supposed role as spouse. And in fact, you know, we, we had many, and I write about this a little bit in the book, you know, many dark moments around that because we were going through a, 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 a big shift. Yeah. Um, but we did choose in the process of all of that to continue to kind of lean in as opposed to leaning out. Right. It's great. It's a great story, Tembi. You're pretty awesome. Thank you. Uh, I think you. Uh, you obviously are a bright light, and uh, you didn't let this experience dim it at all, which is fantastic. Mm. Um, but I'm not quite through with you. Uh, I have, oh, well, first no, of all, by all means. I have before I ask you my last question. Uh, if people want to learn about you, are, have you are you still touring for the book, or is that part of it done? Yeah, I have a couple of more dates, so I'm going to be actually this week. I'll be in Brentwood, in California, but then I'll be in um, in Texas in June, oh, June 14th nice. at Brazos Books on Friday. I'll be in New York in August for the Bryant Park Book Series. I think that's in the lunch, nice. and then there's some other dates. But you can check my website, tembylock.com. All right. There's an event page, and you can visit there. And I'm also on social media, Instagram and Twitter and, and Facebook. Of course you are. Okay, good. All right, so people can learn about you there. Okay, but before I let you go, uh, finish the sentence for me. If writing has taught you anything, taught you what? Uh, how to walk the high wire of willingness and courage. Oh, the high wire. Perfect. I kind of describe it that way myself. That's often willingness and courage. I love mm-hmm. it. I love it. Yeah. You can never be too good. The, the, the wire just gets thinner and thinner, but you learn to keep walking it and walking it. You sure do. Because what else are we going to do? We feel compelled right. to tell a story. That's yeah. Right. That's right, I agree. Baby. Thank well, you. This is such a pleasure. Oh, well, thank you, Tembi. It's been a lot of fun. I, it's a great book. Buy it, everybody. Everybody buy it and read it. 
Uh, there, there's my endorsement. It's the best I can do. And then but, cook uh, some of the recipes at the back of the book. Oh, that's right. There are recipes in the back of the book. I'll try and cook one. Yeah. I'm actually the cook in my house, so I'll give it a shot. Oh, please do. Anyway, which one should I cook? <laughs> Tell me. Tell me the one I should. If I had to cook actually, just one, okay. what should it be? So do you, do you, or, or, if you, if you want something quick, simple, yes. do yes. the pesto alla trapanese. I know I said oh. that in Italian. Very easy. Yeah. It's the pesto. It's a traditional Sicilian pesto. Super oh, easy. And just put it all in a blender, and you can put it on pasta, or you can even put it on a sandwich if you like. Done. Oh, beautiful. Okay, I'm going to do it. All right. Tembi, thank you so much. Uh, good luck with the book and whatever else comes next. Thank you so much, Bill. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Well, it's a high wire, people. It's a high wire. She's right. But it's okay. you got a story to tell, you got to walk it. Oh, we're going to be back talking about writing again next week with Alan Gelb. Until then, thank you to my erstwhile producer, R.J. Jeffries. Everybody else, go find something you love. Do and do it!